Hey there, Yag here. Before we jump into the show today, I have some exciting news to share. As of this month, we are officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. This means we are now part of the leading B2B podcast network designed to help professionals like you get inspired, learn, and grow. The ABM Conversations Podcast is now alongside other great podcasts like My First Million with Sam Power and Sean Puri, The Salesman with Will Barron, and I Digress with Troy Sandridge. Check out all these shows and more at hubspot.com slash podcast network. And now to the show. Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. And this is me, your host, Yag. In today's episode, we are going to discuss customer-led growth. Not product-led, not sales-led, not founder-led. Yes, you heard it right. Customer-led growth. To share her insights on the topic, today we have with us Claire Sulentrop. Claire is a SaaS marketing and growth advisor. She's best known for co-founding Forget the Funnel, as well as for her work with companies like Sparktoro, Vistia, Full Story, Calendly, and a lot more. She loves helping teams get out of the echo chamber and get inside the heads of their best customers. We all love that, wouldn't we? So without any further ado, let's head to Claire. Claire, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's great to be here. Absolutely. I'm so excited as well. And this topic is exciting. Right. So let's get started. You know, we all have heard of, uh, say, product-led, sales-led, founder-led. And because it comes from you, I'm almost certain that customer-led is not yet another marketing buzzword. So let's start with that. I think that's a great place to start. So what is customer-led growth and how does it compare to some of the other concepts that I just mentioned? Sure. And first of all, that was so kind of you to say in terms of it not being just another marketing buzzword. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm happy to break this down. So when we think about product-led growth versus sales-led growth versus, as you said, founder-led growth and any other specific area of a company-led growth. I think the best way to visualize how those differ from customer-led growth is if you imagine customer-led growth as the bottom largest layer of a pyramid. So customer-led growth really is simply a system for before deciding on your business model, deciding on a product-led growth motion or a sales-led growth motion, um, understanding and getting very, very clear as an executive team who your ideal customer actually is. And then doing the work to understand at a very deep level, and I'll, I can describe, I'm happy to describe examples of this, but sure, yeah. really understanding what makes that ideal customer wake up one day and say, today's the day I'm going to buy whatever your product is. From there, once you have that information, then you can make a much more informed decision about which X-led growth approach is most appropriate for that type of customer, right? So if your ideal customer is, let's say, very, very early stage or uh, maybe like a, a mom and pop brick and mortar business with you know not much of a budget for what you sell, then a product-led approach, 
which is very low touch and offers a lower price point might make perfect sense. Versus if you're really clear on the fact that you know, you're selling into an enterprise space, well, product-led is probably going to fall short at some point when a higher touch experience is needed, right? right. So yeah. customer-led growth enables you and your, your executive team to make the appropriate choice about which X-led growth is right for your ideal customer. Right, right. So that makes a lot of sense. So um, some of the things that you said also, like say when you uh, when you spoke about um, today's a day uh, that somebody decides to buy my product, it also sounds a lot like, um, say, the jobs to be done framework. How, how closely is this connected to that? Directly. <laughs> <laughs> so the customer-led growth concept is not something that Gia and I necessarily invented all of the pieces of. The, the various pieces of the customer-led growth framework uh, which is what we're now calling it in our own work, have existed long before we started using this particular phrase. So the work that we do um, and the, the particular way of kind of developing a repeatable system for customer-led growth starts with jobs to be done research. So when when Gia and I, um, my Forget the Funnel co-founder, are working with a SaaS company, we sit down and we get very clear with the founding team or the executive team on who exactly is it they're trying to optimize for, right? Like who is the who is the ideal customer at this moment in time for their business? Um, and then from there, Gia and I actually go into a phase of jobs to be done research. And that's completely informed the way that I think about customer research over the years. So jobs to be done kicks everything off. Um, it's a critical foundation. I am lucky enough to know Bob Mesta and have heard him you know, conduct interviews and have very much modeled my own style of research after after his jobs to be done style. Yeah, yeah. Bob was on the show and, uh, you know, uh, he used this exact phrase, uh, you know, if I can remember right, he just said, uh, today's the day somebody wake up to, uh, you know, go somewhere and do something. And then right. uh, we have common friends in uh, Caitlin Burgo and she also says the same example. I was like, wow, yes. this is a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're getting this same phrasing from Bob, who I'm I'm pretty sure I also got it from. And then Caitlin, I mean, sounds like you've got a fantastic lineup of guests. <laughs> Amazing. Right. And what you said makes a lot of sense in the sense like, you know, you ha have to understand your customer and uh, model the entire experience around that. So typically, you know, when you look at startups in the zero to one stage, talking to customers kind of happens a lot. And or if not, if it's not happening, ideally, they should because... Uh, they are constantly iterating their product to achieve product market fit. But as they get into the scale-up stage, you know, companies have functional leadership in place like VPs of sales, VPs of customer mm -hmm. success, marketing, and so on. And by and by, the customer intimacy starts to weaken and things aren't nimble anymore. So how can right. companies become more cognizant of this? Or how to even identify and cite as to what problem is this lack of understanding your best customer causing? Oh my goodness. that is. Such a good question. Uh, there are many symptoms of a lack, a lack of core understanding or a lack of having, having operationalized your company around your customer's job to be done. Um, they all tend to seem like their own isolated problem. But when, when you look at them as a whole, they typically do symbolize that that is at the source. Right. Um, one of the most common ones I see from the scale-up perspective is that as you mentioned, Yag, you've got these, these functional leaders in place. You've got VPs of sales, VPs of marketing, VPs of customer success, but there's tension between the departments and feels like everyone is rowing in different directions, right? Yeah. Um, so if there are clear points of friction between 
marketing's goals versus sales's goals versus customer success's goals, that's a really, really good indicator that the way you're incentivizing your team, that the KPIs that you're using to measure their success aren't all aligned with what your customer actually needs. And so right. you have people fighting over internally defined KPIs. This is a super common problem. Right, right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, talking about this lack of understanding customers, let's let's wear the customer success hat, um, you know, for marketing for a moment. It would be great if you can also talk a little bit on, say, identifying and fixing the gaps in the buyer journey as well. Um, I mean, everyone talks about customer experience, but not everyone understands what a customer goes through in the buying journey. And of course, a lot can be improved if we understand and fix those gaps. So can you talk about how to discover these success gaps in that entire buyer journey? Oh my goodness, yes. So let me think through what would an appropriate recent customer or, or client story be? Well, speaking of, I know that you mentioned SparkToro earlier and you know we were both lucky enough to be connected via RAND. Yeah. Um, Gia and I uh, have worked with Rand and his co-founder Casey directly to help them identify some of those gaps in SparkToro's experience. So at the beginning of this year, Rand and Casey reached out separately. We, we also um, worked together as they were bringing SparkToro to market in late 2019, early 2020. They brought the product to market in 2020. They've you know seen its first year of growth. And so in early 2021, they reached out and they were like, hey, we're ready for round two, which was lovely. And they had noticed at that point that even though plenty of their, their customer experience metrics do seem quite healthy, like the amount of visits they're getting to their site, uh, the amount of trials that are being started, overall, they're not quite where they want to be in terms of hitting their business goals. And so they're like, okay, we need someone to come in and help us figure out where exactly are the gaps in the customer experience and what do we need to do to fix those? So the classic question that can be answered with customer-led growth. So given that we always start with that jobs to be done research, the first thing that we did with Rand and Casey was launch a short survey that acts as kind of a mini jobs to be done interview um, to who they define as their ideal customers. And by ideal, uh, in this situation, I'm referring to the customers who clearly understood the value of the product. They were actively using it, right? It wasn't as if they were subscribed, but vacant or had forgotten they subscribed. We launched this survey to folks who clearly were getting value. And we used a very, very specific set of questions that are based on a jobs to be done style interview. Of course, a, a survey will never replace the deeper insights found from an interview, but it can be a very productive starting point. Right. And it can be a bit of a conversation starter if you do want to then do follow-up interviews with folks who had really interesting survey responses. Right. So in that survey, we, we learned that there were two primary struggles that were bringing people to SparkToro. One was who we described as like the more experienced researcher. In other words, they were very familiar with the idea of doing what SparkToro does, which is conducting audience research. They had used other tools in the past, or they had cobbled together scraping social media. Like the idea of audience research was not new to them. And they what they really needed was a faster way of doing it. They were really pressed for time. They had a client they needed to provide results for or a boss. There was this like urgency around their need. And then the other struggle that we that we noticed in the responses that drove people to SparkToro 
was really more about the level of, of depth. Their problem was less urgent. It wasn't as much about, I'm on a deadline. I need to find this info. Like my boss is counting on me. It was more about lack of access to trustworthy audience research data from other sources. Would you say it was more of a good to have than a must have? Can we put it that way? Precisely. Okay. Yes. Thank you for summarizing that. It was, um, for those folks, SparkToro was more of a, it was more of a vitamin, right? And for the folks who were really concerned about time and speeding up research, it was more of a painkiller. So with the understanding of those two things being primary drivers that lead people to SparkToro, we did a couple of things. First, we talked through, okay, which of these two struggles is more likely to attract a, a, a good fit um, you know, type of customer who really feels the pain and the need to pay. And the time savings one ultimately ended up being, you know, the struggle we we aimed for. Not that the need for quality data is not a valid struggle, but we made a bet that even if we really focused our work on that, you know, time savings struggle, we would probably bring along in a more passive way the folks who wanted the quality data as well. But we didn't want to we didn't want to prioritize the quality data folks and leave out a focus on that really painful I need data fast struggle if that makes sense. Right. And and in this entire thing what I'm excited about is uh, what were the kind of questions that you asked because generally surveys gives you a very uh, you know averaged out uh, set yes. of data and yes. to get something like this is phenomenal. How did you do that? Oh my goodness. So it it is very specific. You're you're absolutely right. Surveys are it's surprising what an art <laughs> surveys are. Um, so we are extremely deliberate in working with SaaS companies um, or really any recurring revenue-based companies um, in the way that we format these surveys. Uh, of course, they have to be sent to the right audience, right? You, you, you don't get much value in this situation by learning from just anyone. You really want to focus on those ideal customers. But then also, we're very careful to do a couple of things. And I'll share the exact questions or, or a couple of them in a moment. But we always make sure that the response fields are open text fields. So we don't try to force folks to select from a, a multiple choice answer series or um, from radio buttons um, or a drop down. <laughs> right. uh, because we're really looking for how people describe the situation in their own words. So open text fields the entire way through the survey is super important. And then in terms of questions, every question is, I guess, again, it's it's never going to be as in-depth or insightful as true interviews. But in a pinch, it can give you, it can give you some, some results to run with. But the questions are really designed to kind of take someone through a mini interview. So we always start with, before, in this case, before SparkToro, you know, what were you doing to gather information about your audience? So what we're really asking is like, what was their previous solution? What did, what did their life before look like? And then from there we ask, so what happened that made you decide that that old way of doing things was no longer working for you? And that's, a again, never as good as a full interview, but it's a question designed to kind of get at the, what was the struggling moment, right? What was the point at which they realized their old solution wasn't cutting it for them anymore? From there, we ask, you know, how did you go looking for new solutions? And typically we'll find responses like Google, or I asked my colleagues, um, and we can kind of get a sense of how people search for solutions, right? What channels do they typically default to? 
what is the next question in our survey? I believe it is, what other solutions did you try, if any, right? So we're trying to understand, do they shop around? And then when they found this product, what happened that made them feel confident enough to sign up, right? So at that point, we're looking for, you know, what about the the current positioning and messaging resonated with them, if anything? Or was it when they saw a demo of the product, like a demo video or what made them feel confident enough to spend their time getting into a trial and learning the ropes? We have a couple more questions that get at the, the aha moment of that trial experience. And then a final question about, you know, now that they have this new product in their life, what can they do now? Or what is, what's better now than it was before? And those questions help us understand what's the aha moment we, we really want to be driving people toward in this trial experience. And then also what are the words we should be using to describe the the outcome, right? The the ultimate benefit. I'm absolutely loving this. Uh, you know, I'm actually super excited for two things. One, in the set of questions that you described, you have covered the market landscape, you have covered the competitive landscape, you have covered positioning, right? right. So right. this is fantastic. But my point of intrigue here is that because all of these are open-ended, like mm-hmm. how many people took the time to uh, answer this? Because that's like, you need to have some significant data. And um, how many people answered this? Like what percentage? Um, that's, that's something that's very interesting to me. Oh, that's such a good question. So looking back, and this was several months ago now that we ran this survey. So I'm a bit rusty on the exact numbers. Generally, and as always, the unpopular, the unpopular but most accurate answer is it depends. It's going to depend <laughs> on, you know, your your target audience or your ideal customers and their relationship with your product and your brand. Some industries are more secretive than others, um, or you know, less prone to sharing their experiences. So everyone's mileage may vary, but generally, in the experiences that that Gia and I have had working this way with SaaS companies, we we typically aim for a response rate of 25%-ish uh, of the, the customers we reached out to providing useful survey responses. And I, the, the useful there is important because as you mentioned, some people will, you know, they'll, they'll get busy halfway through and not finish, or they'll just give one word answers that really aren't all that insightful. But if we can gather roughly 25% of the of the total ideal customers, if we can gather about 25% of that audience's experiences in the form of survey responses, then we're generally in good shape. So again, not a perfect science, but that's like a that's a, a rough, that's a rough response rate that you could aim for. And a lot of that also will come down to how you how you do the outreach. For example, sending a a marketing style email asking people to complete a survey. Um, is less likely to be successful than, you know, as an individual, as the CEO or as the head of marketing or whoever, sending requests to these customers like right from your inbox, right? Where it's it's much more personalized. So there's a lot of things you can do to improve the the quantity of responses and the quality that you receive. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And also another uh, key point that I also want to dig into is... uh, See, um, identifying the sources of these different kinds of customers, because see, uh, Rand has a great brand. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, at the beginning, it's going to be largely founder-led. 
uh, I mean, people will come to Sparktoro because they know Rand. But from there, um, you know, understanding which channels to bet on and uh, um, what what is the kind of experience to solve for, that's very different. That goes away from Rand and actual product that's also a problem for. So how did you keep these two things very different? That is so good. I, I love that you acknowledge that, yes, um, a lot of the current customer base did arrive because their their affinity with Rand. And that particular question in the survey did yield many responses of, oh, I know Rand. I follow Rand on Twitter. I saw Rand yeah, um, yeah. on a on a webinar or talking about SparkTor on a podcast. So that was 100% the case, which made for a really interesting discussion in terms of growth opportunities. So we could have done a couple of different things. We could have worked with SparkToro to launch a, you know, a paid advertising campaign that didn't include Rand as part of the creative, right? That just focused on the faster audience research messaging as a way to potentially uh, get more people in the door beyond Rand's personal audience. Right. That would have been one way of doing this. That said, SparkToro already receives a very healthy amount of new unique visitors each month. Like they're their traffic numbers are nothing to scoff at. So what we decided to do instead um, was leverage the existing, you know, organic traffic they were receiving um, and refocus the the way that SparkToro is positioned as closely as and tie it as closely, not just the the messaging, but also the the trial experience as closely to that. I need to get this done quickly, pain point as possible. And what that involved, instead of launching um, a, a targeted ad campaign, what that actually involved was rethinking how to describe the benefits of SparkToro on the homepage. And then within the trial experience, writing an onboarding email sequence and a couple of prompts in app to point people more quickly to the features that we learned via the survey, help people understand oh, this is how this thing works. So our focus was, instead of trying to drive more brand new visitors, helping the existing visitors to the SparkToro website more quickly understand the, this will solve your need for speed problem. Um, And then when they got in the trial, we provided a, a very specific set of recommendations for how to make it more obvious more quickly where a trial user should go to yield their first successful search result, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, Claire, um, you are such an amazing storyteller and uh, you couldn't have picked a better case study than to, uh, you know, than uh, SparkToro to dig into this. This is fantastic. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. (laughs) I think it's a good time to take a moment and thank the HubSpot Podcast Network. Being part of the HubSpot Podcast Network means we now have a behind the scenes look into the world's number one CRM platform and get to share new information and features that are helping businesses like yours stay connected to their customers, goals, and teams. With improved forecasting tools and custom report builders, you can see how your quarter is going, inspect new deals, and use customizable data-driven reports to improve team performance as you grow. With custom behavioral events, you can track site behavior and understand your customers' buying habits all within the platform. And if you're looking for cleaner data, With a centralized system, the all-new Operations Hub Enterprise gives your ops leads the ability to curate datasets for all users, meaning even faster and more consistent reporting. 
Learn more about how the HubSpot CRM platform can help connect the dots for your business at HubSpot.com. Now, getting to the core of um, customer-led growth, uh, the key question is, um, you know, what, according to you, are the top probably three or five customer insights that SaaS marketers definitely need to be collecting? I mean, you spoke a lot about how to gather these insights, but what would you say generally uh, three or five things that people definitely need to make sure that they have this data? Wow. Your questions are just on fire. (laughs) So (laughs) I have seen most often be the mystery for people is I I hate to sound like a broken record, but that struggling moment. So when this ideal customer is not even aware of your product or your company yet, um, when they are just going about their life using an alternative solution or, you know, not using anything, what is the moment that makes them go, this is not working for me anymore. I need something else. Knowing just that alone can unlock so many opportunities for growth. I mean, just thinking about that insight alone, um, if you can understand what is the struggling moment, then you can also start to work backwards and, and figure out when they have that struggling moment, what are the typical places they go to look for solutions to that struggle? So immediately you're better tapping into potential acquisition channels, right? Places to, to first get in front of your audience. And of course, if you can speak to that struggle in your marketing messaging, you're going to be better positioned to resonate with that ideal customer than if your struggle-focused messaging is much more likely to resonate than product-focused messaging, aka, look at us and how great our product is. (laughs) (laughs) This is amazing. Awesome. So you take me back to the Snickers ad. Yes, yes. The Snickers ad is a classic example of that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's that's one of the um, best ads you could ever think about because they moved away from competing with Milky Way and changed direction that they are fighting hunger. It's like, it's an earth shattering finding, uh, if I could say that way. Yes, yes. You know, a similar like mainstream brand comparison I think of is one that I referenced in a talk I gave a couple of years ago, also about jobs to be done and uncovering your, your ideal customer's struggle. But several years back, my husband and I bought a Roomba. And I referenced the Roomba in this particular talk because at the time there were a couple of different Roomba tea, like commercial campaigns that were running. So there was one that was all about pets. So there were like some very adorable screenshots I was able to take of commercials featuring cats riding on a Roomba. And like that could very much appeal to me because I'm a cat person and, and so on. But then there were there was another more aspirational campaign that Roomba was running that featured successful looking and in in their their style of clothing and in their like surroundings and so on successful looking people like going off to whatever important things they had to do that day while the Roomba stayed home and got the house clean and I think that's another great example of the pets and and your cat riding on a Roomba is a very cute way to resonate but resonating with who your ideal customer aspires to be, this successful professional. I felt it, even in myself, it was very obvious which of those ads convinced me that we needed to buy a Roomba and it was not the cat ad. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I can imagine. Amazing. Right. So probably the final question in this section that I want to ask you is, uh, would you have any actionable tips or maybe a process to use all these gathered insights into building growth levers? In a spreadsheet, for example, put all the responses you see you receive in one column and, it, and then in the column directly to the right, 
just summarize in a couple of words what is the gist of what this person is saying and then from there you can you'll you'll probably find that there are like maybe two to three main gists main main themes that that led people to your product um from there there's all kinds of things you can do you can have a conversation with your with your leadership team and say hey this is why people come to us how good of a job are we doing actually getting at this struggle in what we say on our homepage um are we using these words are we using internal jargon to describe what we offer when people get into our product like is it obvious that this is the struggle they can solve is there a way we can make it more obvious i'm definitely generalizing right now and and or not generalizing but i'm staying fairly abstract but i guess to be more tactical about it once you have an understanding of what that struggle is and the words your customers use to describe it you can use that as a benchmark for every stage of your customer's journey to to get a sense of whether you're speaking to that struggle well enough or whether you have room to really emphasize it better and solve it better or more quickly with your free product experience yeah yeah i mean you couldn't have said this better because a lot of times this is very common especially in the uh, saas tech world where we think that the set of terms that we use for our product internally that is like we are so used to it and we assume that everybody understands that right right 100% and this is less customer led focused and this is more just a a bit of a pressure test on whether you and your team are are leaning too hard into jargon there's an excellent tool and yag you may you may have used it before 5secondtest.com it's a platform where you can submit your homepage and regular folks will look at it for 5 seconds and then give you feedback on what they think the page is about and it's very enlightening sounds very scary too <laughs> and, and scary <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because you know one thing with us marketers is we will never say that we don't have an answer uh, whether we understand or not right. we'll always give advice and sometimes you see for me the hard uh, learned lesson is that whom you take advice from matters the most mhm yes completely agree and really for me that comes through in the focus on really getting a an executive team or a founder whoever my stakeholder is within a company For me that that really shows up in getting them to to commit to and and communicate who their ideal customer is so that to your point we can be sure we're getting the the insights from the right audience versus just from everyone in a more generalized less useful way. Right, right, absolutely. Loving this. So now that uh, you know we are inching towards the 35 minute mark, let's get into the next section of the podcast which we call the rapid fire section. And right. in this section I'm going to shoot five pointed questions at you and uh, i hope my best and i'll try and uh, see if i can put you on the spot so are you ready for that <laughs> okay i'm ready all right so here's uh, question number 1 i heard you say this somewhere it goes like rather than focus on content to get people into the app focus on customer success would you mind expanding on this ooh absolutely So content can mean a lot of things. Customer success, what I what I really mean when I say that is what what does your what does your ideal customer need from whatever you are serving them? I don't care if it's a tweet, I don't care if it's a blog post or an email or a video, but what problem is that piece of content going to solve for them or how will it help them get value, feel success? And if you can think about what you're creating with that success metric in mind, then you're much more likely to create 
marketing material that actually pulls them to take the next step. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. You know, don't just um, create leads, but at least generate demand for it. Makes sense. Right, right. Right. So here's uh, question number two. If you had to pick one biggest learning from your experience at Calendly, what would that be? Wow, that's a great question. Um, my biggest learning, honestly, was, I guess there's two. There, There's one that was very immediate to that time in my life. And then there's one that is more like has shaped my philosophy on on how companies grow. At that time in life, I was hired as director of marketing. I came in, Calendly, unlike most early stage startups, Calendly did not have an acquisition problem. We had more you know, website visits and trial signups. We, we had a dream number of them, I should say. So at that stage in my life, a big learning was, wow, I came in here to be a marketer and we don't really need traditional demand generation marketing. I guess I have to rethink my job. <laughs> um, yeah. And I actually ended up spending a big part of those early days really focusing not on acquisition, but on activation and understanding exactly. This is how I found out about the entire concept of Jobs to be Done is I had to figure out how do we better resonate with these visitors we are getting? How do we convert more of them to sign up? And then when they sign up, how do we convert more of them to upgrade from free to paid? So in trying to figure out how to do that job, I came across the jobs to be done framework and everything changed. So learning how to rapidly change your own job was something I learned. And we know this now. It's it's not a it's not a mystery necessarily, but it really opened up my eyes to how full customer journey the idea of growth is. Marketing is not and never should be thought of as a company's only lever for growth because there's so much more opportunity along the entire customer journey. That really, really shifted my perspective and has shaped how I work with companies today. That is amazing. And back in the day, was um, customer marketing mainstream yet? If it was, I didn't know it was a term. I was doing things like product marketing. I was doing things like customer marketing, but not with any realization that those were categories of work. Now, other folks who had been in the SaaS space longer probably knew more than I did at that time, but it wasn't until later on in those Calendly days and then you know, even after I left and went into consulting that I really started to understand that those are defined categories of, of marketing or of you know pursuing growth. So all of that felt a bit ethereal to me. I didn't really know what to call the, <laughs> the category of growth work that I was doing. Yeah, but as long as Stope was happy, things are good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Right. So here's uh, question number three. And uh, this is more of a game or rather a trivia. <laughs> I'm going to mention three concepts. Okay. And uh, you will have to give me a one word adjective that comes to your mind when you hear them. Okay. And you get three seconds for each of those. Okay. Right. So here's first. Jobs to be done. Bob Mesta. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Challenger sales. Oh, challenger sales. I roll. <laughs> High fives to you. <laughs> All right. Here's the final one. Customer-led growth. Oh my God. Literally what we're doing, writing a book. Is it is, is writing a book a good phrase? <laughs> yeah. And I think, oh my God, summed it up. So I'm happy with that. <laughs> Sorry. I, I really struggled on that last one. There's just so much that it encapsulates. I was like, yeah, how do yeah. I summarize this? <laughs> No, I can imagine, uh, you know, someone being super passionate about this topic. Uh, I'm loving this. Right. So here's uh, question number four. Imagine you are starting up fresh and knowing what you know now, 
Uh, would you first hire a content marketer or a customer success person? What a fantastic question. I mean, of course, there's arguments for both. I have strong opinions about both. I'm like, oh, which could I let go of and have someone else do? So my messy, messy answer would be, I believe I would hire the content marketer first. I would own customer success until no longer feasible. And then I'd replace myself as the owner of customer success. That's a smart answer, actually. That's really smart. (laughs) (laughs) Two things would have to be true, though. The content marketer would need to have come from a, 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 a company I admire or believe in their content practices. It couldn't just be anyone who knows content marketing. And we would meet weekly at minimum to talk through our learnings from customers so that what we're learning from customers doesn't get siloed. So this is fantastic. And see, I'm of the same belief as well. Yeah, I, I have my opinions about content. I don't like content that are very, very promotional unless it's not helping exactly. somebody exactly. who's reading it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So here's the final rapid fire question. If you would say, Yag, this is one person that you should definitely need to have on your show. Who would that be? Oh, so good. And there's so many. Have you had Asia Matos Orangio on your show yet? Not yet. I've reached out. And I mean, uh, again, one of uh, Ryan's recommendations. So I'll definitely uh, talk to her soon. Yes, she is. She is yet another super smart, uh, customer oriented, very, very thoughtful person. She'd be a fantastic podcast guest. Amazing. Amazing. I'll definitely reach out to her. And uh, thank you so much for that recommendation. All right. So you hit all the questions out of the park. That's fantastic. Well done. Thank you. And thank you for being an excellent interviewer. Thank you so much. But before I say my thanks and let you go, I want to ask you one final favor. Do you have a parting message that you would like to share with our audience? Our audience are predominantly SaaS marketers and salespeople with about five plus years of experience around the globe. I love that context setting, by the way. Thank you. My first parting message would be, you're doing a great job, even on the days it feels like you're not. My second parting message would be, uh, Gia and I are working on a book that breaks down this this process for customer-led growth. So if anyone who's listening is interested in being a beta reader in the coming months as we work out our, our rough draft, go to forgetthefunnel.com and you'll find a, a space to learn about our book and join the beta reader list. That is amazing. And if the listeners of the podcast want to connect with you per se, where where can they find you? And uh, what are the best reasons that they can reach out to you for? Um, let's see. I am around on Twitter, although I haven't tweeted about tech or growth or SaaS in a, in a while. The last I remember was about some uh, pineapple pizza, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mainly use Twitter for pretty silly reasons. So Water cooler talk, Twitter is great. You can always contact me directly if you want to chat more about customer-led growth at claire at forgetthefunnel.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Claire. You know, it's been fun and uh, you give so much of nuggets of information packed in 45 minutes or so. So I'm very, very thankful for that. And I'm going to go back and listen at least a couple of times to uh, take as much possible out of it. Wow. Thank you again so much, Yag, for having me. It's been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. And for the listeners, that's that from us in this episode. And uh, until we connect with you the next time with another guest and another topic, this is bye from me, Yag. Have a good day and take care. Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback thoughts and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you.